Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15, and uh, we're beginning our reading this evening at verse 14, and you'll find this on page 949. Romans chapter 15, and begin, beginning our reading at verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly, by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written... Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. As we begin a a new year, uh, a new year is a time when people like to reflect and to look back. And it is also a time when we look forward uh, with aspirations or hopes and plans and visions for what the future will bring. And as we think about 2022, uh, we might have plans or hopes for what uh, we're hoping this new year will bring to us. And you'll notice that as we turn to Romans this evening, Paul himself is someone that is able to reflect and to look back on the year that was or to look back on his past. And he's also someone who's able to make plans or a vision for what lies ahead. Paul there in verse 19 talks about what his ministry had been in the past. From Jerusalem to Illyricum, uh, he has been pastoring, he has been preaching the, the gospel. And also in verse 20, he mentions what his uh, vision is for the future, that it is his ambition to preach Christ where he has not been known, where he has not been named. And this evening, we want to think ourselves about what is it that we should be focusing on, or what is it that we should be hoping in as we think towards the future. We need hope to live. We need to look forward with hope. And people will put hope in all kinds of things. People will have plans in all kinds of things. But what is it that we can anchor our hope on? What is it that we can hope will be be realized in the fullness of time? And this evening, as we're looking in Romans, we want to see that ultimately our hope has to be anchored in God's purposes. Uh, 
And that when our hope is angered in God's purposes, it will be secure. And that hope will not only sustain us, but it'll propel us ahead. That we will be people not only with purpose, but people who live with confidence in God's work. And so this evening we want to look at uh, this section in uh, Romans chapter 15. We noted uh, that we are coming to the end of Paul's letter. And there is a shift in the tone in these verses. Paul has been instructing the church in Rome about the gospel. What is the message that Christians hold so dear? And then after Paul explained what we believe is the message of God's salvation, Paul then goes on to give an application. Therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Therefore, do not be conformed to this world, but be renewed by uh, be renewed in your mind. That you are to be shaped by the God's word and by God's works. And so Paul has been instructing these Roman Christians. But as we come to these verses this evening, you'll notice there is a shift in tone. Paul has wrapped up his application. Paul is now shifting to more personal matters. He's talking to them about his own plans, his own efforts and his pursuits and ministry. What is it that Paul is planning to do as he moves forward? But as we come to this section, we want to be on guard against kind of tuning out or turning off our attention to what is being said here. Because Paul isn't just talking about what Paul is up to or what Paul's plans are. But Paul is sharing these words with the church in Rome with intentionality because he wants the Christians in Rome to embrace or to share that same perspective, that they too would come along and embrace that that same vision for the future, that they too would have the same ambition themselves. And so Paul isn't just absorbed in himself here. He's not just talking about what he's up to, but he is trying to cultivate a perspective. He's trying to cultivate a vision for how the church moves forward in gospel ministry. And so this evening we want to see how because God has purpose to draw the nations to himself, that the gospel must be preached uh, in every nation. As we come to these verses, though, notice that there is that shift in tone. Paul says in verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Paul was writing boldly uh, in this letter. There was a number of times when Paul would be very explicit about what is true Christianity and what is wrong. Uh, Paul had never met these believers in Rome. Uh, and so for Paul to, uh, to step into their situation and to tell them uh, what is right and what is wrong, to speak to them about a distortion of the truth, and to correct them even on things that were going on in the church, might seem to be very bold indeed. But Paul was doing this, he says, because of his sense of calling, the grace that had been given to him as an apostle. He was a messenger sent by uh, the Lord Jesus. And so because of that calling, he felt compelled to write to the church in Rome. But you notice as well that Paul does commend the church. He began this letter back in chapter 1. And you remember that he highlighted that 
the faith of the Roman Christians was something that was being proclaimed throughout the world. That the church in Rome, that there was a church in Rome, there were people in Rome who were bending the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ instead of to Caesar. And their faith was being spread around the Roman world. That this was something that was captivating people. But as Paul highlighted that at the beginning of his letter, you see that Paul comes back to that idea here at the end of his letter. And he adds his own commendation. Not only is this what is being said by people, but Paul himself has heard about what these Roman Christians are. And you notice that he mentions a Three things there. He mentions first off that they're full of goodness. That they display the virtue of goodness. That is that they they uphold what is right and good. That they display the fruit of the spirit. Which is to to approve of what is good. And to, uh, to reject what is evil. That they themselves not only display what is aligning with God's will. But Paul says that they have it in plentiful supply. There's an abundance of goodness in the church in Rome. So while there is those who are strong in the faith and there are those who are weak in the faith and they are not to pass judgment on one another, we shouldn't exaggerate that to think that there was uh, feuding or that there was nothing but fighting going on in Rome. The church displayed goodness. They were people who were aligning themselves and their intentions were to agree with the will of God. They were people who approved of what was good in the sight of God. But then he also says, not only did they have that virtue of goodness, but he says they were also filled with all knowledge, meaning by that that they had an understanding of the faith. These were people who understood what it is that they believed and they understood why they believed it. When they said Jesus is Lord, they understood what they were claiming. But they also knew why they were willing to stand by that profession. They were convinced that he truly did rise from the dead. They were convinced that in him there is forgiveness of sins. They believed that he is the son of God. And so they were willing to stand by that profession. They had an understanding of the faith. And so Paul here celebrates what he sees in them, an understanding of the situation, an understanding of how to work through uh, matters because they have a grounding in the faith. And then thirdly, he celebrates the fact that they have an ability to admonish one another. That's a word that means ordinarily to warn or to exhort. Meaning by that, that the Christians in Rome had an understanding of the truth. Their heart's desire was aligned to honor God. And they didn't shy away from speaking into one another's life. But neither did they speak into one another's life in order to cause them to despair or to shame them. But they spoke into one another's life in such a way as to direct them back to God. To bring everything back under the equation of the glory of God. And that they were speaking in such a way that they would be heard. And so here Paul is commending this church because in this church we see goodness, we see knowledge, and we see this willingness to speak into one another's life. In other words, this church has all that it stands in need of to work through their matters. That God has equipped the church 
that if they humble themselves, if they seek to strive to do what is honoring in God's sight, they will be sustained and they can honor the Lord. Now, wouldn't you like it if someone said that about you this evening? That if someone said, when I think about this person, I think full of goodness. I think of someone whose will, their intention, is to do what God says is good. What God delights in, they are delighting in. What God hates, they hate. That's the definition of goodness. When I think of that person, I think of someone who understands the faith. They have an an understanding of what it is they believe. And they will stand by that truth. And I think of someone who is not ashamed to share that hope. To call others in faith and in love to consider these matters. And to align themselves with God's revelation. Those are marks of maturity, aren't they? And those should be things that we want to see cultivated, not only on an individual level, but we should want, like the church in Rome, to be characterized by those traits ourselves as a church. There are people that know the truth, that are willing to speak the truth in love, and are doing it in a way that is good in the sight of God. And so here is Paul commending the church in Rome. And you'll notice that Paul doesn't shrink back from compliments Uh, He's not afraid that the church in Rome might get a big head out of this. Paul is able to say, God is at work in Rome. There has been a change in your lives. And as a people, as a community, it's a token of God's grace. And so Paul is able to celebrate it because it is the work of God and it is not to be ignored. And so Paul says all of this about the church in uh, Rome that he longs to meet, that he longs to come to at some point. But as Paul uh, speaks to them, he says to them uh, that not only has he written to them by uh, reminder, but in verse 16, he explains to them that he is a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. And so Paul here is setting before them something of his own vision of gospel ministry. And this evening we want to think about two thoughts that he highlights in these verses. The first is the clarity of his vision. And the second is the confidence in his mission. So there is clarity. What is it that Paul is aiming at? And secondly, there is confidence about what he is aiming at as well. First, uh, there is the clarity of what Paul is saying. Paul himself calls himself a minister of Christ Jesus. Those are words that we become uh, familiar with in in church circles. We speak about people being ministers or servants, those who are acting in uh, the capacity of service. But Paul then goes on after describing himself as a minister to then describing himself as one who is in the priestly service Those words sound strange, perhaps, to many of our ears. Why would Paul speak of himself as in the priestly service of the gospel of God? We believe, and the New Testament teaches, that the Arianic priesthood, the priesthood of the Old Testament, has ended. It has been fulfilled in a greater priest and in a greater priesthood in the Lord Jesus. 
Jesus is our great high priest because Jesus offers the, the one final sacrifice, the one sacrifice for sin. At the end of the ages, once for all, Christ offered up himself as a sacrifice for sin. That's what the writer of Hebrews celebrates, one of the great themes of that book. So Jesus is our great high priest. So why does Paul then speak of himself as being engaged in a priestly service when Christians say that Jesus is our high priest? Well, we have to bear a couple of things in mind. One, while Jesus is the only one who offers up a sacrifice for sin to cover our sins, the function of a priest goes beyond simply the offering up of atonement or a sacrifice or a sin offering. A priest offers up offerings to God beyond sin. He offers up offerings of praise, offerings up of thanksgiving. Uh, a priest is one who is uh, working on behalf of others. And so Paul here, when he is using that language, he's not saying that he somehow is engaged or involved in atoning for sin. But rather he's using this language metaphorically. He's speaking about how he is engaged in something as an offering to God. Uh, he, is, he is not thinking about anything that would atone or cover sin. We already mentioned, remember in Romans 12, Paul said that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, as our spiritual worship. That it is, it is part of uh, how we are to respond to God. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. Paul was talking about offering our own lives as an act of worship, as a, as a sacrifice of praise to God. And so when Paul here talks about a priestly manner of the gospel of God, he's simply saying not only does he offer up his own life as an act of worship, but he is also offering up the Gentiles, that he is also offering up others as an act of praise to God, that they too are to belong to God. And this is his act of acknowledging the greatness of God. So Paul here is uh, simply using this language, we could say, metaphorically. But there's a reason why Paul is using this language. As strange as it may sound, there's a reason for it. And that's why we were reading from Isaiah. Because there in Isaiah, at the end of that prophecy, one of the things that Isaiah speaks about is the offering up of the Gentiles. Do you remember what it said back in verse 18 of Isaiah 66? It says, The time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and they shall see my glory. The nations, the Gentiles, will see my glory. In verse 20 it says, They shall bring all your brothers from all nations as an offering to the Lord. The nations will come and they will be an offering to the Lord. They will come to the Lord. They will see the glory of God. That's how Isaiah's message ends. The nations will be offered up to God and they will be accepted. In verse 20, again, it says, Just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord, so the Gentiles 
will be accepted as clean. That's what's being accented there. In, back in verse 16 of Romans, it says that he is a minister of Christ Jesus doing the priestly service so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You ask any Jew what they think of a Gentile, the answer is unclean. A Gentile is defiled before God. They're impure. What Isaiah was saying is is that the time is coming when the nations will be offered up to God and they will be accepted just as any offering that is offered up in a clear, clean vessel is to the Lord so the Gentiles will be clean and accepted to God. They will be approved because their defilement will be removed. God's grace is not just going to recover and to rescue those Israelites who humble themselves and turn to the Lord. But God's grace is going to extend beyond Judah. It's going to go beyond the Israelites. It's going to go and to restore people from every nation. And so as Paul is explaining his vision here, he's saying that his vision is one in which the nations are coming to see the glory of God. That he sees himself in the priestly service in causing the nations to offer themselves unto God, that they themselves would turn to the Lord in faith. And so if we're a Gentile here, or if we're a Jew, regardless, the Bible teaches us that we're defiled by nature. But Isaiah was talking about a time when the Gentiles would be made acceptable, when our filth would be washed, when we would be made acceptable in and through the work of God's grace. That's the good news, that God has made a way in which unclean people can be right with God. And that's ultimately the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the work of God today. We might look around and say, where's God today? What's God up to these days? And if Paul was here, Paul would say the work of God today is the gathering of the nations. Look around you. And see that from every nation, God is gathering people unto himself. Recognize that God's work is not just in the past or in one part of the world, but that God is drawing people unto himself. And Paul is amazed that as he looks around, he sees that he's an instrument that God is using to bring people to faith. So Paul is talking about his his vision He has a clarity of a calling. He has been called to be a minister, a minister of Christ. He has been called to the priestly service of offering up the Gentiles in obedience and in faith. And that he understands that God has been working through him. And so Paul there ventures to make the plain. He says that I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. In other passages, Paul makes the point that we all boasting is excluded. There's nothing for us to be proud of. But Paul here is saying that I find my boast, my my glory, my pride in what God has done. The work of God and his glory being revealed. 
That's what Paul celebrates. And here Paul is accenting the fact that God has been at work through him. He's not, he's not drawing attention to himself there. He says what Christ has done through me. He's going out of his way to say it's not what I've done. It's the work of Christ. But he used me to bring people to faith. Both in what I said and what I did. And you go back and you read the book of Acts and you read about the things that Paul did. How he healed people. How he cast out demons. How he raised Eutychus. How he brought God's judgment on evildoers. God was working powerfully through Paul, both in what he declared to the Gentiles, but also in what he did, in the signs and the powers and the wonders that were performed. And so Paul here is accenting the fact that he has an understanding of the calling that has been placed on him. And just as a side, again, you see this, this understanding of his view of God, even in verse 16 there. You see this Trinitarian expression. He says that, in, uh, he, says that he, is a priest, he is a minister of Christ Jesus in the service of the gospel of God so that uh, he might offer up the Gentiles who are sanctified by the Spirit. That he is a servant of Christ. That is his Lord. He speaks about the gospel of God. And he speaks about the sanctification of the spirit. Paul's ministry, his view of Christianity is Trinitarian through and through. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As he expresses his understanding of God in his ministry. So he has an understanding of his calling. His vision is clear. He has been called by God to declare the gospel. Uh, but then he also has that understanding of the clarity of his work. Uh, Paul heralded this message, and there in verse 19, he looks back and he says, so that by the power of the, uh, of the Spirit, uh, the message has been proclaimed from Jerusalem and all the way around to Ilocrium, uh, what was once Yugoslavia, uh, or uh, what is today Montenegro. But Paul is looking at the spread of the gospel. If you got out a map, you look down in the bottom corner and you see Jerusalem, and then you move in the opposite corner, then you're seeing how the gospel is spreading. And Paul is stepping back saying that there is a work of God that is going on. It is being spread around the known world. And so Paul says, I make it my aim, my ambition to preach Christ. That's his vision, to make Christ known. That's his aim, his target. You think about someone who does archery with their bow and an arrow. They have a target that they're aimed at. And Paul here is talking about his aim is to make Christ known where he has not been named, where he has not taken root, the gospel. And Paul is sharing that with the church in Rome because he wants the Romans to have that same mindset. This message must spread. This message must go further. It can't stop here. It must continue to go out. There was a report, an article that was on the internet and that it was making this same point. It was highlighting that today there's an estimated 5.5 million missionaries in the world. But it highlighted that the vast majority of those missionaries are in areas where there is a significant 
uh, proportion of Christians already. And it was highlighting that less than 1% of those missionaries are in hard-to-reach areas. Areas like Japan. Areas where Japan has a population of 126 million people. And less than 2% are Christian. And there's a need for the gospel to penetrate these areas where the Lord Jesus is not named. And Paul has this clarity of vision. He's not saying we don't need missionaries in other places. But he is saying that there is this burden on Paul's heart that Christ would be named where he has not yet been named because that message needs to permeate from sea to sea. It must cover the globe. And that should be the same mindset that the Church of Rome should have and that we should have today. Yes, Islanders need the gospel. Yes, Canadians need the gospel. But so do other countries. And so as individuals, as churches, we should be actively supporting missionaries in the effort to spread the name of Jesus in other parts of the world as well. That's the vision that Paul wants to have these Christians entertain and to embrace. That Christ would be uh, made known across the globe where he has not yet been named. So there is a clarity of vision. What is Paul doing? Paul says, I'm a minister of Christ to proclaim the gospel of God. I am to proclaim that gospel where Christ has not yet been named. That's my vision for the future and what lies ahead. But notice as well, he doesn't just have a clarity of vision. He has a confidence in his ministry as well. Paul writes why he wants to preach there. He says, it's not uh, because, uh, he says, lest I build on someone else's foundation. It's not as though Paul wants to take all the credit or that Paul has a, a rivalry problem where he won't work with other people. His reasoning for why he wants to preach Christ where he has not yet been named is given explicit explanation in verse 21. As it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. He's quoting there from Isaiah 52. He's quoting from the final servant song of Isaiah a servant song that speaks about the coming Savior, one who is characterized in two ways, by his extreme humiliation and secondly, by his exaltation. He will be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And his appearance was beyond resembling. His appearance was so marred that one could not identify him. But the outcome of his suffering was that he shall sprinkle many nations and that kings and rulers will see and they will be astonished. Meaning by that, that they will observe this and they will understand it. It'll not only astonish them, but Isaiah says they will understand and so here, Paul is explaining why Christ needs to be proclaimed. It's because the nations need to hear this message. But Paul's not going about this 
in an Eeyore kind of way. He's not going about this hopelessly, saying, well, we'll just do it, and we'll see if anything comes of it. Paul is doing this because he is convinced that there will be success. He's convinced that the Gentiles will respond, that they will see these things, that they will understand. He's quoting this because the nations will respond. The good news is not only that there is a Savior, not only has God accomplished salvation in Jesus Christ for all who believe, but the good news is is that that message that goes out will not be in vain. And that as many as believe in the Lord Jesus will be saved. And so Paul here has not only a vision for what lies ahead, proclaiming Christ, but he has confidence. Why? Because God's word has been revealed. God is at work. And the nations will all bend the knee. That the nations will acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so Paul wants to proclaim Christ to the nations. Paul was seeing the gospel fulfilled before his very eyes, and he wanted the church in Rome to share that same perspective, that they themselves would believe that it will be realized, that God is at work in the nations. As we begin this new year, let us recognize that the Lord Jesus is still building his church, that it is our privilege to be able to proclaim Christ to others. So let us be people of hope, hope that is anchored on God's purposes, that God is making his grace known to others, people that live confident that God's purposes will prosper, and people who live with that aim of knowing the glory of God ourselves. There's a clarity of vision, seeking to bring glory to God, and there's a confidence that God's purposes will prevail. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that we would be humbled as we think about Paul's confidence and Paul's trust in your work in his own time. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, to be able to look at uh, how you are at work in our own uh, day. Lord, that we wouldn't be discouraged when we see resistance or when we see our own nation becoming so hardened to the, the things of God and to the revelation of your word. But may we be people who live trusting that you are able to overcome, that you are the God who can change hardened hearts. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to move forward, uh, looking to you in faith, with hope uh, that you will uh, be at work and prosper our, our efforts. Lord, forgive us for our sins, and we pray in Jesus' name.